You're listening to the City World Radio Network. High-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world. www.cityworldradio.com Good afternoon. Welcome to Intelligent Talk with Ralph McElvenny. Join us every Thursday at 5 p.m. on the City World Radio Network as we discuss topics in politics, art, and current events. We're very pleased to have Jim Rogers on here at Intelligent Talk. IntelligentTalk.com is the website. Mr. Rogers is an investment expert. He was famous for running the Quantum Fund all throughout the 1970s with George Soros, his partner. It achieved a return of over 4,000%. When the Quantum Fund ended, he basically decided to take a break. He traveled the world, did a number of great trips on his motorcycle. He had lectured at Columbia University, taught there, moved to Singapore about 10 years ago, thinking that the opportunities were in Asia, and he's definitely been a contrarian thinker and has a, a lot of interesting things to say about the market in a time of this instability. We were happy to have him on. So without further ado, Mr. Rogers. I am delighted to be here, Ralph. Thank you, Mr. Rogers. And just I could just quickly just get a little bit about your background. I believe you went to Yale and Oxford? I, I can't indeed. Ralph, that was many, many, many years ago. It's not very important now. Might as well ask me about my first wife. Well, it's still it's still an impressive background. Um, if I could just ask you how you met uh, George Soros. Did you meet him at an investment bank in New York? Oh, my God. That was, that was even longer. That's decades. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I needed a job. He needed a, a young man okay. or something, and somebody introduced us, and, and we went to work together. Now, Mr. Rogers, I, I believe you ran this, the Quantum Fund with George Soros from 1973 to 1980, and you had a return of something over 4,000%. I haven't heard you talk much about the quantum fund. Could, could you tell me just briefly how you achieved those amazing type of returns, what you were invested in? Do you remember? Well, it was actually 1970 and 1980. I mean, as I said, I mean, well, that's, that's 40 years ago. Okay. Um, well, we both worked very hard. We both liked what we were doing, and uh, we used a lot of leverage. And we got it right every once in a while, and it worked. Yes, well, it was an amazing return. So now, just if I could just bring us to the stock market of today. Obviously, you saw the stock market was down uh, today. And is it your opinion, uh, as I've heard you in the past and read your books and your commentary, that the stock market is basically just pumped up by the Federal Reserve and the money printing in Europe and Japan and the U.S., and this is basically an artificial stock market? There's no question that uh, all the major central banks in the world have been printing money uh, like never before in history. And a lot of that money has gone into a stock market around the world. I mean, it's never happened in recorded history that central banks have printed so much money and have driven interest rates so low. Uh, we've never had negative interest rates in the history of the world, and we've never had such low interest rates in recorded history. So, yeah, all of this has come from printing money. Japanese central bank prints money every day and buys, buys Japanese bonds and stocks. The Swiss central bank buys, prints 
money every day and buys American stuff. So I mean, it's ludicrous what's going on, what has been going on. In 2008, of course, it was it was a Lehman Brothers in Iceland which triggered it. And you've said in the past you don't know what would trigger it this time. It could be a pension fund failing. The Federal Reserve has a five times balance sheet higher, and you still you're not sure exactly what's going to trigger a crash. But you, you're fairly confident it's going to occur a big crash in the next year or so. Is that fair to say? Well, uh, I'm certainly not sure what's going to cause happen. What's going to cause it? I do know what's going to happen. Uh, Janet Yellen, who uh, was the head of the Federal Reserve in America, the Central Bank in America, says we're not going to have any more problems in the world economy. Uh, so if you believe Mrs. Yellen, you should stop listening to me right now. I happen to know she's wrong. I happen to know there will be more financial problems in, in the world in the future. And when it comes, it's going to be very serious because debt is so much higher. You know, it's been nine years since we had the last problem in the world. Uh, we're overdue. We don't have to have one every seven or eight years or six or eight years, but we have in the past. And when the next one comes, it's going to be a very, very serious because debt is so much higher now. Right. And is your opinion that the dollar has not collapsed because it's the least bad currency, essentially? Is that is that, am I, is that a fair thing to say? I'm not sure it's the least bad currency. It might even be the worst currency. But uh, it's what everybody knows and believes in. And if you look around the world, they're not going to buy put much money into pound sterling or the euro or many other currencies. Uh, people, for historic reasons, think the U.S. dollar is a safe haven. Uh, it's not. America's the largest debtor nation in the history of the world, but since people believe it's a safe haven, they will buy. I own you a lot of U.S. dollars because of that. Is your opinion, Mr. Rogers, focusing on Bitcoin? Would you say that Bitcoin is just a ridiculous bubble and people should stay away from those type of investments? Well, everybody has to make their own decisions, but if, if I just... First of all, there was no cyber currency 10 years ago. Now they're over 2,000. If I just told you that fact and didn't tell you what the asset was and showed you a chart of the cyber currencies, I think you would probably say, whatever that is, it's a bubble. So, yes, uh, it certainly has the earmarks of previous historic bubbles, and I suspect this it will end like all other bubbles. A lot of people will lose a lot of money. I, I have never bought of Bitcoin, so I'm not sure you should listen to me. <laughs> you know, I wish I had bought lots of them yes, well, uh, years ago, but I, I didn't, and uh, I don't own any now. Mr. Rogers, you, you famously said, I think, that people should uh, basically consider being farmers and that the farmers are going to have the Lamborghinis that the stockbrokers used to have. Is that still your view, that, that farmers will end up in the end ahead of the brokers because of the fundamental shift of what's occurring? Well, yes, throughout history, we've had these gigantic shifts, you know, from the people who are the financial types to the people who produce real goods. Uh, we've had a great bull market in, on Wall Street in the city of London for 35 or 40 years, and I would suspect that's going to change now. Uh, when I finish speaking with you, I'm probably going to put in some orders to buy, buy agriculture myself. 
Okay. May I ask you, Mr. Rogers, are you still as bullish on China? I mean, obviously, I think you, you famously said in 1807, you'd want to be in London. In 1907, you'd want to be in New York. In 2007, you want to be in China. And of course, that's why you moved to Singapore and why your your daughters speak ma- Mandarin. But some people say that China, with increasing authoritarianism and a lot of hidden state debt and no rule of law, and I know you said the U.S. had no rule of law at one time. We had depressions and we had a great civil war. But some people say that China just is, is in a situation where it's getting worse in terms of authoritarianism, debt, and lack of rule of law. Is is that not, not your opinion? Well, that description certainly applies to America in the 19th century, that's for sure, and maybe even parts of the 20th century, and we became pretty, very successful, being the most successful country in the world. Uh, China's going to have problems. You know, I misunderstand. Uh, just as America, America, as we rose to power and glory, had 15 depressions with a D. We had a horrible civil war. We had massacres in the streets. We had very little rule of law. I mean, we were a mess, but we became extraordinarily successful. So China's going to have plenty of problems. I don't know what or when or why or how, but I know they will. That's the way the world works. And you're going to see there is a lot of debt in China now, which has not existed for decades. People lend money to, to China over most of the last uh, hundred years or so, but now they have a lot of debt. And when the next problems come, you know, if if they the people who owe money, who have big debts, and who deal with the West, are going to have problems. Beijing has said they're going to let them go bankrupt. I hope they do. It will surprise people, including me, who just said it's going to happen. But uh, when it happens, it's going to scare a lot of people. Okay, Mr. Mr. But, but no, that's just the, the main point of your question. No, I'm still optimistic about China in the 21st century. I don't see anybody better in the 21st century. I mean, maybe we're all going to go into total collapse for 100 years or so. But even if we do, I suspect China will be less damaged than the rest of us. Mr. Rogers, in obviously trying to analyze the U.S. economy, I think you have said in the past, and please correct me if I'm wrong, to ignore the U.S. employment numbers. You say, look at the payroll tax. And I guess you might also say, look at the labor participation rate. Is it your opinion that the U.S. labor numbers are basically phony and the unemployment rate is substantially higher than what what we we report? Uh, I wouldn't want to accuse politicians of not being honest. I certainly wouldn't want to do that. Uh, But there there is evidence. Not just the U.S., by the way, everybody, Germany, doesn't matter, China, India, they all make it up as they go along. Uh, I I would suspect that the situation in most of the world is worse than the politicians tell us. Okay, fair enough. And I think at one point you said, too, the U.S. reports no inflation. You say, well, I want to go to a store where the prices are going down because you mentioned health care, entertainment, real estate. All those prices are pretty much going up, but we don't report inflation. Is that fair to say? Well, I certainly agree. I certainly have said uh, words to that effect. There's very little question that, you know, wherever I shop, prices in the U.S. or elsewhere, prices are up. Now, maybe they're not in Washington, D.C. at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, but most of us know that prices have been going up and scratch our heads when the government keeps saying there's no inflation. Do we just do that to keep the Social Security rate low because that's tied to inflation? Is that one of the reasons why we report no inflation, maybe? Of course it is. Many things in Washington are tied to the uh, inflation rate, the official inflation rate. It's not just uh, Social Security, but many other things, too. And so, of course, it's in the government's interest to keep the numbers down. 
I don't want to attribute any kind of ulterior motives to politicians, but some for some reason they do have an interest in keeping the inflation rate down, and they do keep it down. Mr. Rogers, where does one hide then, assuming we have this terrible crash coming? I mean, obviously, you can buy the Swiss franc. You can buy gold. I think you mentioned you own some farms in Russia. I believe you bought an interest in a Russian farmer, if I'm correct. I mean, where does someone hide in this coming problems that we're going that you foresee? Do you have, do you have any suggestions? Well, no. Uh, if, if I said the Swiss franc, I retract it quickly, because the Swiss franc is setting itself up to be a horrendous uh, problem. Uh, the Swiss, when I was a kid... The Swiss franc was the most, uh, it was the definition of integrity. It was backed by gold, it was backed by integrity, and everything else. Now the Swiss franc, the Swiss National Bank, to my astonishment, prints a lot of money every day, and they buy Google, they buy Amazon, they buy, you know, it's astonishing what the Swiss franc, the Swiss National Bank is doing with the money. So when the next uh, bear market comes, a lot of people are going to be shocked by what happens to the Swiss franc. So I don't own many Swiss francs at the moment. Uh, certainly not. And I'm sorry, I, I'm so shocked when you said that I should buy the Swiss franc. What was the rest of your question? No, sorry, I, I'm not saying you said that. I'm saying I was asking you as a question. Is that, is that a, I was asking if that's a safe haven currency, which obviously you don't think it is. My basic question is, what should someone do, given the problems that you foresee? I mean, I think, I th is it correct you have an interest in a Russian farm, Mr. Rogers? Your farm in Russia? Uh, uh, no, I don't. Indirectly, I'm a director of a Russian fertilizer company, and I am a director of a Russian agricultural company. Okay. Yes, but I do not own, I do not own any property in Russia at all. I do own some Russian shares and Russian bonds, but no, no Russian property. Although I am a director of a company, a couple of companies involved in Russian agriculture, as you may, yeah, just on the side, as you may know from any study of history or literature, you know the Russians historically have been gigantic agricultural, a gigantic agricultural country, and they will be again, because they've got huge amounts of land, and believe it or not, the, the soil and the water and the climate in, in much of Russia is very good for agriculture. The communists ruined all that. You know, communist, communism can ruin anything, and they certainly ruined Russian agriculture, just as Chinese communism ruined Chinese communism. So I, I do have an interest, but not a big interest, and not a direct interest. Now, yes, I am optimistic about agriculture. Farming is going to be a good place to be. So if you like being in the sun and getting sweaty and growing things, you might think about becoming a farmer because I certainly am very, very, very bullish about agriculture going forward. Agriculture has been a disaster for 30 or 35 years, 40 years. Uh, you know, the, the highest rate of suicide in the UK is in agriculture. Millions of Indian farmers have committed suicide over the past decade or two. It's been terrible. More people in America study public relations than study agriculture. The average age of farmers in America is 58. In Japan, it's 66. I mean, I can go on and on. Agriculture has been a terrible place to be. So either that's going to change, or we're not going to have any food or any clothes at any price. <laughs> okay. I don't know what's going to change. It's going to change again as it has throughout history. Mr. Rogers, if I could just ask you specifically about gold, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think gold was close to 1,000 in 1980, and now it's approximately 1,300. So essentially, in almost 40 years, 
gold has almost stayed flat, especially if you adjust for inflation. Why hasn't gold been up more in the last 40 years, especially with all the money printing and all the debt? Should it have risen more than it has? But just a slight correction, it didn't quite make a thousand in, uh, in 1980. It made it to 875 U.S. dollars per ounce. I know very well because I was short gold. Okay. And I was hurting, hurting badly as it ran up there in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and then it went down. And you're right, it, it has done nothing, uh, adjusted, uh, not adjusted, it has done nothing over the past, what is that, 38 years, if you just take from 1980 to now. Uh, gold throughout history has had gigantic fluctuations, just as most assets have, most assets that have been around for uh, centuries, and it's doing the same thing again. I own some gold. I actually bought gold in the 70s. I've never sold any of my gold. I have some in the vault as an insurance policy. hope to give it to my children someday, yeah. but it's, it's not a place where I'm investing now. I expect another opportunity to buy gold sometime in the next couple of years. If it happens, I hope I'm smart enough to buy a lot of gold because before this is over, you know, gold is going to have its own gigantic bull market. It's going to get overpriced, might even turn into a bubble because when people start losing confidence in government and money, historically, for thousands of years, they put their money in gold and silver, and they will again. Uh, Mr. Wright, if I could just turn you to foreign policy, I believe you said quite famously that, that the U.S. is pushing China, Russia, and Iran closer. Is that a fair summation of your views on that? Oh, my gosh, it's not my views. It's a fact. If you go to Moscow Airport, there are long queues now full of Chinese. You know, five years ago, if you went to Moscow Airport, there were no Chinese. Now they're everywhere. Go to Red Square, you hear Chinese all over the all over the square, the Chinese banks in Moscow now. No, it's happening. It's, uh, it's, it's because of U.S. policy. U.S. policy, you know, put sanctions on the Russians for incorrect reasons, if you ask me. Uh, and now the Russians and the Chinese are becoming great pals, doing lots of business together, and likewise the Iranians. Should we not have... They were all going to look back and say, wait a minute, how did this happen? Why are the Russians and the Chinese so big pals, and, and we're not? Should we not have put sanctions on Russia when they took Crimea, Mr. Rogers? I mean, was that not a smart policy of ours? Well, you can go back and look at what happened. And, you know, it really started with a State Department bureaucrat. What was her name? Uh, oh, that, 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 that woman ambassador who wanted to overthrow the, uh, the president. I know who you mean. Yeah, uh, Victoria Newland or something. Yes. Uh, she, you know, was a big... There's evidence, evidence is there, pretty hard evidence, and pretty clear. She started the coup, and the illegal coup in Ukraine, and they went, the Russians and the Ukrainians outsmarted us, they blamed it on the Russians, and said that the, the and there was a vote, a legitimate vote in, in the Crimea, and they voted to leave Ukraine and go back to Russia. They've been part of Russia for centuries. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Ukraine, but Ukraine has been a horribly managed country for decades. If I had a choice of getting out of Ukraine, enjoying Russia, I would too. I mean, I'm not that I want to join either one up, but I would certainly rather be a part of Russia again, as they were historically, than a part of Ukraine. Ukraine has been a mess for as long as I can remember. When I first went to Ukraine in 1966, what a mess it's been ever since. So yes, the Ukrainians, I mean, the Crimeans voted to join Russia. America said, see, we told you. 
they're, they're dishonest. And all of a sudden, Victoria Newland, though, and the State Department in the U.S., and we're all paying the price for it. Mr. Rogers, what about, some people say that China's being quite aggressive, like in the South China Sea, trying to fortify those islands and uh, expand. I mean, is, is that something we should be concerned about, or is that not an issue, in your opinion? Well, who knows when uh, wars and why wars will start. They always start for very strange, obscure reasons. Uh, so we should be concerned about everything. And the same thing is happening with the Japanese and the Koreans and the and Formosa, for that matter. You know, the, the Japanese and the Koreans both claim a little rock in the ocean. And, and there is a problem because America is tightly allied with Japan and tightly allied with Korea. Well, if Korea and, Korea and Japan go to war, what are we going to do? Fight for both sides? We're going to fight ourselves. <laughs> right. uh, but likewise in the South China Sea, I mean, the Chinese are asserting a claim, which they say is a historic claim, and they're fortifying the islands. I have no idea who's right. doesn't matter what I think, uh, but the Chinese are doing it. And is that going to be where the next war begins? I have no idea. They always start someplace obscure when we're not watching. And the next thing you know, people, you know, back in, in 1914, the Austrian emperor made nine demands on the Serbians after his son was assassinated in Sarajevo. Well, the Serbians met eight of the demands and still war broke out. And six months later, everybody was like, what are we doing? How did this war start? Why are we doing this? But it was too late. You know, they destroyed Europe and they destroyed millions of people and billions of dollars. But, I thought that was, was that maybe Emperor Franz Joseph of Austria, if I recall? But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Franz Joseph was the Emperor of Austria. You know, he was 86 years old. Yes. He assassinated his son. <laughs> he said, I'll show them. And, you know, the rest of it is history. He Mr. wasn't even around when the war ended. Uh, but neither was, neither was the Austro-Hungarian Empire. It destroyed a lot of, a lot of stuff. And Mr. Rogers, I've heard you talk about the um, the Chinese policy, the one belt, one road, the big infrastructure policy in China. And if, if it, is it fair to say you think that's a very smart initiative? And I think you've said that, for example, Denver, Colorado was created by the railroads. So I, I take it you're in favor of what the Chinese are doing with their industrial policy. Is that fair to say, their infrastructure? Well, Ralph, I want to say again, it doesn't matter what I feel, uh, but what's happening is the Russians, the big Chinese, have started the most important uh, project of the 21st century. You know, it's not often that it's, it's, uh, geography changes. When the Spanish and the Portuguese started sailing around the world 500 years ago, it totally changed geography. When the railroad came along 200 years ago, it totally changed geography. Yes, Denver, Colorado would not exist except for the railroad, and Denver's now a very extremely important and prosperous part of the U.S. Uh, the, the people that were at the right place when the railroad came changed their lives, and the people at the wrong place moved to Denver, or moved to Chicago, or San Francisco, the place where the railroad went. And that is happening with the One Belt, One Road project. If you get out a map and see what they're doing, and get out a, a balance sheet and see the money they're spending, I mean, it's staggering. It's going to change everything we know in a dramatic way. So we should be doing that in the U.S. Would that be fair to say we should be doing major projects to make our railroads better, our highways? We should be putting more on infrastructure, or we should get our airports up to first world standard? I think you've said that Kennedy's a third world airport, essentially. 
Well, then there is no question that American infrastructure, I don't think there's anybody who disputes that American ag- uh, infrastructure has declined dramatically in the past uh, 20 or 30 or 40 years. I mean, if you go to an uh, American airport, you know you're in a third world airport, and you're getting a third world taxi, and you're out on a third world highway. So, I mean, it's pretty clear that American infrastructure, everybody, from the, I mean, the Democrats and the Republicans both, both are quite loud about how American infrastructure has declined. So we certainly should be doing something about our infrastructure. I don't know where we're going to get the money, but we certainly should be doing something about it. But, the, but the, that would be just to upgrade and maintain what the Chinese are doing. They're starting a whole new geographic. I mean, they're putting transportation, ports, railroads in places that have not had this kind of infrastructure in the past. And that's why it will change change geography and everything we know. Mr. Rogers, uh, speaking of Trump, do you like any of his policies, like, for example, the reducing of regulations, reducing taxes? Do you think any of that is helpful for the U.S. economy to maybe turn things around to a degree, or, or does it not make any difference at this point? Well, throughout history, when you reduce taxes, it's good. I mean, I can spend my money better than Mr. Trump can. I can spend my money better than Mrs. May and, and the U.K. can. We can all spend our money better than any politician in the world can, so that's always good. The problem is if you spend the money, uh, you, you cut taxes and you don't have, and then you turn into big deficit, that can be a problem. But no, I, I'm all for cutting taxes everywhere in the world and always have been. Likewise, regulations, it's great to cut regulations. Unfortunately, the studies show that Mr. Trump claims he's done a lot more than he has. He announces cuts in regulations, and then they don't happen or haven't happened yet. But, of course, it's good to cut rid of, get rid of bureaucracy, red tape, regulations. I mean, I'm sure that even the Democrats would say that. Of course, they brought in a lot of the regulations, and the Republicans have, too. But, no, it's good to change all of that, if, if it actually happens. I, Mr. Roger, I know you're you're in Singapore, and I, I've been to Singapore, and um, I've always found it a very. I was there for their 20th anniversary, in 1985. But I take it you like you think Singapore is a very well-run country, and Lee Kuan Yew did a great job, and obviously his son is prime minister now. Is are you happy with the governance of Singapore? Well, we did move to Singapore uh, in 2007. I, I moved here mainly so that my children would speak Mandarin and know Asia, because in their lifetime. Knowing Asia and speaking Mandarin is going to be extremely important. So we came to Singapore, and it has done. I mean, Singapore has been the most successful country over the past 40 years or so. It did some brilliant things, and they have a lot of things going in their favor. Will they be the most successful country in the next 40 years? I don't know. You asked me in 40 years. But so far, we're, we're not moving away. We're happy with our lives in Singapore. My children love their school. My children love it here. My wife loves it here. We're very happy. And Mr. Rogers, if, if, if you were going to uh, advise someone, if, if someone was a young person, just graduated from college or is in their 20s, and they had $25,000 to invest, and obviously you're not in favor of the stock market, is would you is there any one recommendation you might make to someone um, as to what to do? Do you have any suggest one, one investment you might recommend, or maybe not? Well, if I had $25,000, I would go to China and learn Mandarin. I would get a job doing whatever I could do and learn Mandarin uh, if I were a young person in 2018. That's that's very clear. That's the best investment they could make would be in ed- educating themselves about Asia and China and Mandarin because that will be the future in their lifetimes. After that, 
the, the, the right investments will come. They will know what to do if they know the world. Do you have individual Chinese stocks that you that you invest in? Do you like Alibaba or something like that? I do own uh, many individual Chinese stocks, and I have been. I don't think I've ever. Well, I've sold a couple of Chinese stocks over the decades, but I've I've been investing in China for a long time, and I I rarely sell my, any Chinese stocks. You know, if, if in nineteen eighteen you sold your U.S. stocks, you might have looked smart for a while. But 80 years later, it would have been pretty foolish. That's my view of selling Chinese stocks now. And, and finally, Mr. Roger, you've had some amazing trips. And I, I think at the turn of the uh, 99, 2000, you took that fantastic trip. You had that, that yellow Mercedes who went all over the world. Do you have any trips coming up and any plans for any great trips in the future that you're thinking of? Well, I don't at the moment. What I would like to do is my daughters get older to, to go drive around China with them. They both speak uh, fluent Chinese. Uh, and they could be my interpreters, but at the moment they're too young, they wouldn't understand it and enjoy it very much. Uh, my wife said that's a great idea. She said she will fly from five-star hotel to five-star hotel and meet us. She's driven overland. She knows how tough it can be. But I would like to drive around China someday with my children. Excellent. Well, Mr. Rogers, thank you so and, much. And by the way, and by the way, by the way, excuse me, I'd also like to drive around the U.S with my children too because you know they, they don't know much about the U.S. I don't know much about China for that matter but I would like to, to drive around the U.S. with them and show them uh, the U.S. that uh, both of us would, would know more about as well as China. Yes, well, I've done a little bit of that driving and seen the Grand Canyon and Yellowstone. Of course, it is wonderful. Mr. Rogers is chairman of Rogers Holdings. He's the author of a number of best-selling books including Investment Biker, A Gift to My Children, and A Bull in China. Well, Mr. Rogers, thank you so much for coming on and giving us your overview of the world today and some suggestions. And I very much appreciate your time, and thank you very much.